0: Well, amen, I'm telling you, I told those guys last night, it's one thing to be able to be able to sing, it's another thing when you believe what you're singing, and I think that's what separates these guys. God bless you so much. Brother Travis, I believe the music's been as awesome as I've ever heard it, if that's possible, and the preaching, and the preaching. You know, Brother Rock was complaining that he had to follow Brother Bartholomew. I've got to preach between the brothers. Do you understand that? <laughs> Amen. God have mercy. <laughs> brother Bartholomew, you have so blessed me. I can't wait to get to South Haven just to visit, just to, just to worship with them. I'm not inviting myself. Now, Now, if you want to call me, Brother We'll uh, we'll work something out, but hallelujah, God bless you. Look forward to hearing Brother Tommy. Take your Bibles and turn to the final Psalm, Psalm 150, Psalm 150. I want to preach on this subject, praising the amazing Lord. He is amazing, amen? And we need to learn how to praise Him, and Psalms 150 tells us how to do that. You find Psalms 150, and would you stand to your feet and honor the reading of the Word of God? Psalms 150, praise ye the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in the firmament of His power, praise Him for His mighty acts, praise Him according to His excellent greatness, praise Him with the sound of the trumpet, praise Him with the psaltery and harp, praise Him with the timbrel and dance, praise Him with stringed instruments and organs, praise Him upon the loud cymbals, praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. I'm preaching on this subject, praising the amazing Lord. Would you be seated all over the building with your Bibles open in your laps? I love the story of the Texas millionaire rancher who went to Australia one time on business and it was his desire to finish his business early in the week so that he could take one of those tours and visit the country and the continent of Australia. Not often that you get there and he wanted to take full advantage of it, so sure enough, By the end of the week, he was ready to go, paid one of the fares, got on one of those buses, and off he went. Now, the tour guide was explaining the history and the highlights of his homeland and pretty soon the bus stopped and the tour guide pointed to a field over to his left where there were some cattle grazing and he said over to my left are the largest cows in all of Australia probably in all the world and they serve the finest beef in our homeland now to know a Texan is to know that didn't sit very well because everything's bigger and better in Texas so he was sitting in the back of the bus and he tried to resist but he couldn't help himself and he said that's nothing On my ranch in Dallas, we've got cows that are so big, it'll make those look like little billy goats, and our beef is in the top ten steakhouses in the world. Well, the tour bus continued, and pretty soon it stopped, and over the pasture to his right were some horses grazing, and, 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 and the tour guide said, over to my right are the largest horses in all of Australia, and some of the most beautiful horses in the entire world, once again, that didn't set well with the Texan, and he was sitting back there. He tried to resist, but he said, you know, that's nothing. On my ranch in Austin, we've got horses so big it'll make those look like little ponies, and they are the most beautiful horses in all the world. And that's where the, uh, that, that's how the, the, the tour went the rest of the way. Every time the guide pointed out something boastful about his homeland, the Texan one-upped him every time. And the tour guide was getting tired of it. Pretty soon, the bus had to stop to let a herd of kangaroo bounce through the intersection. Texan had never seen kangaroo before. I'm telling you, it was like a little kid in a candy store. He was just mesmerized by these animals with the pouch and the way they jumped and how strange they looked. And he was kind of jumping up and down in his seat. And finally, from the back of the bus, the Texan said, hey, tour guide, what kind of animals are those? You know, the tour guide thought for a moment he couldn't resist. He finally said, what's the matter, big boy? Ain't got no grasshoppers in Texas. I'm thinking that the tour guide decided like the Texan, he ought to think big. You know what? I'm going to make an announcement. I think it's time that the blood church of the Lord Jesus Christ started thinking big because we serve a big God who does some mighty big things. That's what the psalmist must have thought as he penned the words to the 150th Psalm. It's called the praise chapter of the Word of God, and that's exactly what the psalmist does. 13 times in the 85 words that I just read a while ago from this great chapter, he says the word praise. Hey, by the way, church, you know that's one praise for every 6.54 words that came out of his mouth. He must have been thinking about his great God, and he couldn't help but praise him. By the way, that word praise is a Hebrew word halal, and it means to boast and to celebrate and to shine, and that's exactly what he was doing. He was boasting in celebration of a God whose face had shined upon him. Do you know what I'm thinking happened? I'm thinking that he's coming to the last song in the songbook. Now, you know that's what the book of Psalms is, don't you? It's a hymn book. 150 praise songs is that's what it is. And he came to the last song and he's thinking, you know, I need a hallelujah chorus. I need to finish the song on a high note, no pun intended. I I need a grand finale. And I'm wondering if the psalmist just began to thumb through the songbook to get a little bit of inspiration. You know, if that happened, you know he stopped on page 23 in the songbook. And he saw about his shepherd. And he knew that as long as Jesus was his shepherd, he will never be in one. Not in this life, nor in the life to come. That psalmist probably stopped on page 51 in the songbook. And he got excited when he read about a forgiving God that blotted out all of his sins. Washed his sins away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that psalmist must have stopped on page 100 in the songbook. And he began to make a joyful noise to the Lord. He began to praise him because he is good. Because his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth. To all generations. So, by the time he got to page one thirty-nine on the song in the songbook, he was lifting both hands, praising God that He was fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are Your works, O Creator, and He knew that right well, deep within His soul. So, I'm thinking, by the time He got to the end of the songbook. There was only one thing to do, and that was to praise God in every way, with everything that He had, by every expression. And when the psalmist didn't know what else to say, he said, Praise ye the Lord. You see, that's the way the psalm ends. In fact, that's the way the psalm begins. In fact, that's the way the last psalms begin, last five psalms, excuse me, begin and end. It ends with, Praise ye the Lord. You know what praise ye the Lord means? It's a word that means hallelujah. One word that is universal in all the languages. I believe that's a good Baptist word, is it not? And if it's not, it ought to be. Because he's worthy of every bit of our praise. I want to walk about the Psalms, and I want to be, begin to just praise the Lord if you don't mind. Now, I know that if every preacher has preached From the 150th Psalm, it's got kind of a simple truth. It's got kind of a common outline. In verse 1, we are taught where to praise Him. And in verse 2, we're taught why to praise Him. And in verse 3 through 5, we're taught how to praise Him. And in verse 6, we're taught about who is to praise the Lord. I didn't steal your outline, okay? I'm just walking through what the psalmist already said. But let's just begin to think about some of these, by the way. And Brother Bartholomew, I'm not going to be Baptist. I'm not going to have three points. I'm going to be a little Baptist. I'm going to have four points. And I want to talk to you for a little bit about how we are to effectively open our mouths. And praise the Lord, let's talk about it. First of all, I want us to look at the place of praising the Lord. Verse number one tells us where we are to praise Him. I love that verse, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. First of all, the psalmist tells us to praise him in his sanctuary. Now, where in the world is his sanctuary? Well, there's about three, four, five places in the Word of God that says you and I are the sanctuary. You and I are the walking, talking temple of the Lord God. I believe that. And we are to have a body that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Places like 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 and 1 Peter 2 and Ephesians 2 tells us all about that. John Thompson and Randy Scruggs wrote a song in 1982 entitled, Lord, please prepare me to be a sanctuary. And I believe that's what we're ought to be, we ought to be, but that's not what verse 1 is talking about when it says, Praise Him in His sanctuary. That word sanctuary here is the Hebrew word Kodesh. It's where we get our English word holy from, and here's what it means: it means a sacred place that has been dedicated and consecrated to the praise of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So where is the sanctuary? It's speaking about a location. It's speaking about a specific room. So where is the sanctuary? Right here in this very room. A place that has been solely dedicated and consecrated for the worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Brother Mike, I love to go to a church for the very first time. Because I know the pastor is about to give me a grand tour of the church plan. I love that inevitably we start off in the office complex and he'll show me all around the office complex and then we'll go to the educational space and he'll show me all the Sunday school rooms and then we'll go to the family life center and the fellowship hall. But every time, Brother Travis, every time we go to the sanctuary last, it's like we're saving the best for last. And he opens up the door. And it's like it's a holy moment, if you know what I mean. You know why it's a holy moment? Because this is a holy room. Do you know that this room has been built with the same construction material as the rest of the buildings on the church plan? But this is different, man. You know why? Because this is a room fit for a king. And we have come into this house together in his name to worship Jesus Christ. I love that story in Mark chapter 2. The story of those four men that grabbed that stretcher bed. Y'all remember that? They heard that Jesus was going to be at a house. And so they took the stretcher bed to the house. When they got there, they discovered that the house was completely full. And they couldn't get in. So you know what they did? They took the stretcher bed and went to the top of the roof. And they removed the tiles from the roof. So that they could lower the stretcher bed down to where Jesus was. So Jesus could touch the paralyzed man. And heal him they had a roof raising revival amen Amen. but here's the here's the question why was the house so full the answer is simple Jesus was in the house and folks we have gathered because Jesus is in here see anybody can gather in a room the masons gather in a room the rotarians gather in a room The Moose Lodge, for goodness sakes, gather in a room. Our state and local and federal governments meet in a room. But I guarantee you when a group of believers meet in a room, it doesn't matter the denomination. It doesn't matter whose name is on the church sign. The difference is not who's in the pulpit or who's sitting in the pew. The difference is the presence of Almighty Jesus. So when you come to church, don't leave your troubles and cares Outside, bring them in because the healer is in the house. When you come to church on Sunday, don't leave your joy and praise outside because the one who strengthens you with that joy is in the house. You've got some guilt and an unforgiving spirit. Don't leave it out there when you come to church. Bring it in because the one who put it all under his blood is in the house. We have come into his house together in his name. To worship Him. We're to praise Him in the sanctuary. But then notice the psalmist tells us there's another place we're to praise the Lord. The rest of verse 1 says we're to praise Him in the firmament of His power. Now where in the world is that? Well it might be easier telling you where it's not than to tell you where it is. Because here's what scholars believe. By the way the word means mighty expanse and mighty it is. Most scholars believe... It starts at the ground floor and goes all the way around the world. Then it goes northward past that first visible arch of the canopy called the sky. And it goes past there into outer space. And it goes all the way into the throne room of God. In other words, here's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying wherever God is, that's where we're to praise Him. By the way, you knew there were three heavens, didn't you? The first heaven we see by day. The second heaven we see by night. The third heaven we can see by faith. Amen. But that's another sermon for another day. I'm just telling you that the firmament of His power goes all the way to the throne room of God. So what's the psalmist telling us? Here's what he's saying. While it's wonderful to praise Him in here, we need to praise Him out there. We need to praise Him inside the church, but we need to praise Him outside the church. I feel a sermon coming on. You don't mind if I preach it, do you? It's easy to praise Him in here in a Bible conference where we all pretty much believe the same thing. And there's amens all three hours when we gather this morning and all last night. But it's another thing to praise Him out there. It's one thing to praise Him in here where the Spirit is flowing, but out there where the Spirit of Antichrist is rampant, it's a little bit more difficult to praise Him out there. See, we should automatically praise Him in here. This is church. All week long, He's blessed us. All week long, He's met our needs. We count our blessings and we've named them one by one, and we find out He's blessed us with so many blessings, we lose count. Amen. And we can't wait to get here on Sunday. To say thank you. Besides, we're Baptists. And haven't you grown a little weary over the years when our Pentecostal friends refer to us as the quiet group? Yeah. A little bit on the dead side, if you will. You know, I take offense to that because this Baptist ain't dead. I don't know about you, but I'm not dead, man. But I've heard all the cliches. I've heard that it's been so cold in the Baptist church you can ice skate down the aisle and you got to chip the ice off the baptistry before you can use it. I've heard that people end up at the Baptist church and realize they took a wrong turn and ended up at the funeral home because it's so dead. Now, wait a minute. There are those kinds of churches out there. I've been to them. I'm glad I'm not at one of those this morning. Amen. But I've been to Cemetery Baptist Church. Amen. I've been to Frigid Fellowship. Boring Baptist Church invited me to come one time. I've been to those churches that start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. I've been to those churches that don't need revival, they need resurrection. I've been to those churches who believe that the most spiritual thing you do when you get inside is, shh, be reverent in the sanctuary. The only difference is some folks have mistaken reverence for rigor mortis. Amen. (laughs) Libraries are quiet. Testing centers are too. Shoot, graveyards are so quiet, they're dead quiet. But my Savior is not dead. He's alive forevermore. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. See, we've got to praise him in here. But we can't let what we learn in here and see in here and feel in here and experience in here stay in here. We got to take it out there and feed the hungry the bread of life and give the thirsty living water to drink. Because Psalms 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So where do we praise Him? We praise Him in here. But we got to praise Him out there too. Amen. So first of all, there's the place of praising the Lord. Then notice verse 2, there is the purpose of praising the Lord. Verse 2 says, praise him for his mighty acts and praise him for his excellent greatness. The first thing that we should do or the first reason we should praise the Lord is because of all the great things he has done. My, 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 God, such a good God. And we should praise Him alone for what He's done to us. The only difficult thing with that is where do we start? I'm gonna tell you where some of us need to start. Some of us need to quit complaining, hello, and start counting the blessings of the good God on us. Shoot on our worst day, we got clothes to wear, we got food to eat, we got a roof over our head, we got money in the bank. Shoot, I just took another breath, courtesy of the one who put one in my lungs. So we need to start praising him for the goodness that he's been to all of us. But if I got to do the scripture right, I think we need to praise him because of all the mighty acts that God has done as recorded in scripture. I think that's what the psalmist is talking about. Now wait a minute, not that God has quit doing mighty things. Oh, oh, no, quite the contrary. Do you still believe in miracles? Amen. Because God is still alive. And as long as he's alive, there's still going to be miracles. In fact, the greatest miracle is still performed every day. And that's when somebody passes from death to life and trust in Jesus as his or her. Savior. So, I, I know God still does mighty things, but I, I'm thinking the psalmist is talking about we got to praise Him for all the mighty acts that we have in front of us in the Word of God. An entire book of marvelous acts. A bunch of them. In fact, there's so many. You know what John 21, 25 says? John 21, 25 said, it just the works that Jesus did were recorded. Are you ready for this next line? If just the works of Jesus were recorded, the books, the world couldn't contain all the books that would have to be written. And that was just in a three and a half year period of ministry. My, 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 what a bunch of mighty acts that we have before us. So let me just stop at one. Only have time for one. It was a pretty mighty act. In fact, it's the first one. In fact, this is how the Bible begins. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was no small task, was it? No, no, no. I'll never forget when I was attending Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I don't know, the professor had just had a class on creation, and we were walking to our next class, and a fellow student walks up beside me that was in the class with me, and He said, Ron, you do realize that God didn't create this earth in six days, but rather in six different time periods. You know, um, I've gotten better, Brother Travis, over the years, controlling my tongue. I remember when I was a young man, man, I just opened my mouth and it came out. And I remember, I remember a long time ago, but I remember saying these words, that's about the dumbest thing. That I ever heard in my life. You know people irritate us sometimes. When we talk and have discussions about the Bible. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. People get us upset. By the way I'm going to date myself. Talking about dumb things. I'm six years old in the first grade at Yates Elementary in Brandon, Florida. The Cuban Missile Crisis was upon us. Yeah, that was back in the caveman days. And I was six years old in the first grade. And because Florida was so geographically close and still is to Cuba, we did the duck and cover exercises. I I don't know if you heard about them, but an alarm would sound and we'd get under our desk. And you know, Brother Travis, I'm six years old at the time. You know, I couldn't spell the word maturity. And certainly hadn't achieved the maturity status. But, Brother Mike, I'm under that desk and I'm thinking an atomic bomb's gonna come through this roof and a wooden desk is gonna protect me. That's pretty dumb, amen? <laughs> and it'd be a foretaste of the dumb things that I would hear from that moment on, including that day at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So, let me take you back there. He said, no, God created the earth in six different time periods. And here's what I said. I said, first of all, God created the earth in six days, D-A-Y-S, because that's what my Bible said. Do you understand God could have created it in six seconds, man, if he wanted to because he's God. But I said, brother, I want you to think about what you just said. If God created this earth in six different time periods, that would still be nothing short of amazing, amen. Of course, there are those that believe he had nothing to do with it. Brilliant minds who believe we got here by that magic formula. Goo to you via the zoo. From infantile to reptile to crocodile to Gentile. Brilliant concepts. Maybe the word evolution should be called evolution. I I remember that poem. I heard somebody give me, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I once was a tadpole swimming in a brook. I then became a bullfrog with a brand new look. I then became a monkey swinging from a tree. And now I am a professor with a Ph.D. buffoonery. Let me tell you, it's not Mother Nature, man. It's Father God. Amen. Amen. So let me just hang out for just another second. Let me just give you two aspects of His creation. Just a second. First of all, His inward creation. You and me. Man that He created. Wow. Do you know that every human being has an average of 30 trillion cells in their body? Some more, some less. But the average is 30 trillion Do you know in a single cell, you have a DNA molecule, which is basically a a blueprint, a a set of instructions that, watch this, watch this, that tells uh, that cell how to act every single moment from birth to death. That's amazing. But while you're contemplating that, do you understand that if that information in a single cell was in book form, written out, it would be a stack of 4,000 volumes that would go from this stage to the ceiling. One cell, one cell. And if you count all 30 trillion, it's enough information to fill the Grand Canyon 40 times over. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Hallelujah. But let me give you one more. The hour creation. The outward creation, think about this. If the thickness of one page of your Bible, that's pretty thin, isn't it? If the thickness of one page of your Bible was the same as 93 million miles from the earth to the sun, so one page represented the distance of 93 million miles, do you know it would take a stack of paper this thin, 71 feet high to reach the nearest star? Do you know it would take a stack of paper this thin, just to measure the galaxy the diameter of our galaxy, a stack of paper this thin, 310 miles high. Do you know the distance to the edge known of our universe from where you're sitting right here would we'll take a stack of paper this thin, 31 million miles high. And yet God holds it all in the palm of His hand. Amen. Let me tell you, we're just at one mighty act in a whole book full of acts. We're just on page one of the first verse of the first words of a whole book. And by the way, it wasn't the mightiest act of God no the greatest act wasn't creation it was redemption a two-part act mind you act number one is when Jesus took that old wooden tree and went to a cross to die for the sins of the world act number two is three glad glorious days later that same creator overcame death hell in the grave and rose forevermore and because of that two great acts He performed the greatest one in me because the creator of the universe invaded a 19-year-old boy in Bowrica, Florida and changed his life forever and ever. We need to praise him for all his mighty acts. But then the psalmist says, we need to praise him not only for who he is. Watch this. Excuse me, not only for what he's done, but for who he is. Watch this, no matter what he's done. I'm going to say that again. We not only should praise Him for what He's done, we ought to praise Him for who He is, no matter if He did anything. Amen. What a God we serve. By the way, see that word excellent? I love that. I love that. The psalmist didn't feel like he could say praise Him according to His greatness. He had to put the word excellent there. The word excellent means abundantly above. He's not just great. He's abundantly above greatness. In fact, if there's two words that we mess up all the time in the English language, it's the word great and the word amazing. Because they both are used to describe our God. And I'm sorry, when we describe the amazing grace of God and then talk about an an amazing athlete in the same term. That's a severe contradiction. Would you not agree? Or or the word great. To speak about how great God is. Should never be confused with my job's great, my girlfriend's great, the weather's great. See, we've learned to celebrate our sports heroes. I don't think I'm going to park there and preach a while. We'll be here all afternoon. We've learned to celebrate entertainers and even our friends. But one day, every knee will bow down at the feet of the champion of love because he's great. We go goo-goo and gaga because I just saw him in the airport. or I went to her concert and sat on row five. I could almost reach out and touch her. Yeah, and I got a personal relationship with the God of the universe, and I get to talk to him every day. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Well, first of all, we found out where we should praise him. Second of all, we found out why we should praise him. And then verses 3 through 5, we want to talk about the practice of praising the Lord. We're going to talk about how we should praise Him. In verses 3 through 5, there's a, an amazing list of instruments, and I'm not going to go through them all. But we've got trumpets to drums, and we've got stringed instruments to pipe instruments. See that word organs there? It's translated pipes, and it includes all the wind instruments. From the clarinet to the tuba. My, 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 what an interesting three verses we have here. First of all, God loves music. He wants us to praise him with instruments because God loves music. Oh, yes, he does. He loves singing, Psalms 95, verse 1. He loves all kinds of songs. Boy, I could park there and preach a while. Ephesians 5:19. He loves the use of instruments, Isaiah 30:29. He loves it when his people praise him. Second of all, Notice these are instruments that God loves. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a condensed list for sure. So if you don't see your favorite instrument on here, don't think that God doesn't love that instrument. There just wasn't room for it. That's why he put plural on stringed instruments and organs. Second of all, that doesn't mean all the instruments have to be on stage at one time. The main thing we need to understand is these are instruments God loves. I think I'm going to say that again. These are instruments that God loves. Well, I don't like drums in church. Well, we're not gathering around your throne to worship you. Amen. These are instruments that God loves. I, I, I'm going to date myself one more time. I was a student minister in the 80s, invited Truth to come to my church, and Truth is that group that had all that brass. And Boy, what a night we had. A lady comes up to me after church and said, I don't like trumpets in church. Nah, I don't like trumpets in church. And I remember looking at her and saying, Lady, that's the last sound you're going to hear before you leave here. You ought to start to love it. Amen. Yeah. By the way, God loves loud. Isn't that cool? Yeah. A lot of people say, Brother Ron, you're loud. Okay, God loves me. Amen. Yeah. God loves loud. He don't just love symbols; He loves loud symbols, yes. High sounding Symbols. Well, I've reached a place in my spiritual life where I think that God prefers the quiet, meditative spirit. You go ahead if you want to. But I was reading the other day in Revelation 5, there was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands gathering around the throne. And he heard a loud voice saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. But then one more thing about these instruments. I'll move the last verse and I'll sit down and let Brother Tommy take it home. Notice that these are, or this is, just one way to praise him. See, some of us can't play instruments. Some of us can't play the radio, amen? But we can all do something. We can all sing. Aren't you glad God qualifies eight times in the book of Psalms and he loves the joyful noise? Because mine's a joyful noise. I was preaching a revival recently, Brother Mike, and a former staff person in my church who became a pastor of a church. He invited me to come preach a revival, and I'm standing down in the front row singing praises to, to my God. And he leaned down and he said, I remember, I remember, I remember now you can't sing. And I looked at him and said, I'm not singing to you. Amen. I mean, what are you you thinking? Somebody nearby is going to hear your voice and they're going to sign you to a recording contract? I mean, come on, man. Just sing. And if you don't think you can sing, hum, whistle. I like the preacher that said, if you got a piece of dental floss, tie it to this tooth and hold it out here and pluck it. (laughs) To the glory of God. Because you see, this isn't all about instruments. That's why you see that word dance. Dancing's not an instrument, but the psalmist says you can even praise him in dance. Uh oh, lost all the Baptists. Uh oh. What did somebody say? A praying knee and a dancing foot don't go on the same leg. Mm hmm. I'm telling you why Baptists don't dance, they can't. And by the way, isn't it amazing, in Psalm 7, verse 1, David sang before the Lord, and we say, amen. In 2 Samuel 15, verse, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 15, David shouted before the Lord, and we say, hallelujah. But in the verse before, it says, David danced before the Lord, and we're thinking, I don't know if that's really what it said. Praise Him with whatever you got. I remember in the 70s when the charismatic movement began to grow. And I'm telling you, I was just a teenager, but I remember it, Brother Mike. We allowed the uh, charismatics to rob us, Baptists, of getting to know the Holy Spirit in an infinite way. Many of us wouldn't go out on the limb, so we didn't even climb the tree. And boy, we lost out on a lot. I remember Bill Gaither, Brother Travis, in the 70s wrote a song. Let's just praise the Lord, let's just praise the Lord, let's just lift our hands toward heaven and praise the Lord. You know what Baptists did? We changed the words. First of all, are you allowed to do that? It's a Bill Gaither song, man. He's the Godfather, man. Second of all, you know what we changed the words to? Let us lift our hearts. Now, now, you, now you know what? I, I'm, I was just a teenager, man. But, 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 but I remember thinking, lift our hearts. So why can't we lift our hands they said, well, it doesn't look right. But, but this... <laughs> you know how many Baptists it takes to change a light bulb in the ceiling? The number's not been determined because Baptists very rarely lift their hands above their head. <laughs> I remember the greatest sound I ever heard, Brother Mike, as a young daddy was when I drove home. And I got inside the garage and I shut the door and I'm about to walk in my house and my two-year-old two is on the other side going, daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home. And I open up the door and he's got his arms extended high. What was I supposed to say? Put your hands down, you little charismatic. No. Because here's what he was saying. He was saying, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I've missed you. I'm glad you're home, Daddy. I never feel safer than when I'm in your arms, Daddy. So pick me up and hold me to yourself. Jesus, I love you. I want to honor you. I never feel safer than when I'm in your arms. I just want to have fellowship with you. Pick me up and hold me to yourself. I got one more and I got to go. My time's gone. But I come to the fourth thing the psalmist says in verse 6. He tells us the person to praise the Lord. He tells us who is to praise the Lord. He says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. The Hebrew word for everything is everything. All of God's creation have learned to praise the Lord. When the birds sing, thank you. Thank you for that juicy worm. That I shared with my babies. Thank you for knowing when the little sparrow, of my buddy, falls. Squirrels, even praise the Lord. I hate squirrels. They got in my attic, ripped it all apart. You know how they double back on you when you're driving? Sometimes I find myself wanting to follow them into a neighbor's yard. But but but, but, but when they do whatever they do, thank you, Creator, for the acorn that I'm going to store for the winter. Even the vegetation, praises the Lord. In Florida, right before a summer thunderstorm, the bulbs of the flowers and the vegetation just yes, opens up. Yes, They're lifting holy hands yes, before God. Amen. And then Jesus said, if my people won't praise me, praise me, the rocks right. will. So I I, I don't know what you got out of this message, but I'm just wondering, are we going to let a rock outpraise us? See, here's the problem. I'm afraid of what we've done as a church of Jesus Is we've gotten away from what attracts the presence of God. We're so concerned with filling the church building full of people that we've designed everything in our church life from A to Z to fill pews. And so our church and our programs and our ministries and our service and our music is designed toward the end of reaching people And what we need to do is design our church and our ministries and our program and our music and our services to attract the presence of God because then the people will come. Don't you reckon that when they hear that Jesus goes to your church, they might want to come and check him out? So I close this way. I close with a song. Oh no, oh oh, oh no, I'm not going to sing. If, if I care ever to be invited back to this wonderful church, I dare not sing. But since we started out with a song, because that's what Psalms 150 is, I, 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 I just want to praise him for a minute. This may not be your favorite song. You praise him ever how you want to. But I pray that you'll leave here with a deep concern on your heart to up the ante on your praise. Because he's worthy of every bit of it. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the Son sets free is free. Indeed. I am a child of God. That's who I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am, who the sun sets free, is free indeed. <laughs> Hallelujah to the Savior of the world. God bless you.